everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Here is RP3 and Company, Way Back Wednesday edition. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. I'm joined here in the studio by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. Woo! We made it to the midweek point, the hump day of the week. It is a way back Wednesday edition of the show. Oh, we got something in store for you. Get your boots on. It's going to be one of those shows. Five Names was very happy about getting the music for this week's Way Back Wednesday edition of the show. Of course, we have our foodie poll question of the week as well. We have three guests lined up today. We'll be talking NFL Draft, New Orleans Saints with Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. We'll be talking with author Andy McHugh. His latest, Stumbling Around the Bases, How the American League Mismanaged Integration and Expansion. That'll be coming up today as well. And then Trenton Trosclair, Eunice High softball coach, only in his second year. And the Bobcats are headed to Sulphur. State semifinals on Friday. We'll talk to Coach about that and about his season and how Things were able to turn around at Eunice in a hurry. Of course, we'll take your phone calls today. Game hotline's always open. We'd love to hear from you. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we're going to lead off today's Way Back Wednesday edition by talking the New Orleans Pelicans. We talked with Ali Cassell yesterday about how Game 5 was critical. If the Pelicans won Game 5, that they more than likely would win the series. And they didn't. Phoenix did exactly what you expect the number one overall seed in the Western Conference to play like at home. And I've said it all series long. When Brandon Ingram is the best player on the court, the Pels win. Last night, Brandon Ingram was not the best player on the court. The best player on the court was Mikhail Bridges and then Chris Paul. For New Orleans to win this series, Brandon Ingram has to be the best player on the court. When he is, they win those games. When he's not, They lose those games. It's very simple. And it's not as if he was awful last night because he wasn't. He just wasn't dominant. And for the number eight seeded team in the Western Conference playoffs to take out the top seed and the defending Western Conference champions, 
led by a future Hall of Fame point guard, Brandon Ingram has to be the best player. Has to be. There's no room for error there. He wasn't the best last night as the Suns comfortably beat the Pelicans 112-97. to And you look, Ingram had 22 points, shot 7 of 19 from the field. Not terrible. 1 of 5 from 3-point range. Had 5 rebounds. Not a bad night on the court for B.I., And they got 21 points out of C.J. McCollum. But C.J. and B.I., they just didn't shoot the ball well. B.I. 7 of 19. C.J. McCollum was worse. 7 of 22. The Pelicans as a team only made three three three-pointers from the starting five. Jose Alvarado came off the bench and gave them two three-pointers. That's it. They didn't shoot the ball well from beyond the arc. Valachunas had a nice game, a double-double, 17-14. and He did his job, but no one else really stepped up. McCollum's been giving them roughly around 21, 22 points all series long. That's nice and steady, but he hasn't taken over a game. We talked to Ali yesterday from the Bird Rights. And he was like, you're kind of waiting for C.J. McCollum to take over a game. He hasn't done it yet. He's the playoff veteran. Has not happened. Credit Phoenix for doing a very nice job defending C.J., not letting him go off. So the Pelicans didn't shoot the ball well from beyond the arc. They only had two players score over 20 points. And the Suns, meanwhile, Mikhail Bridges dropped 31 He was 4 for 4 from beyond the arc, 12 of 17 from the field. That's a dominant performance. That's a guy that's had a breakout kind of career playoff game. And the Suns needed somebody else to step up besides Chris Paul. They got that. Bridges, an absolute beast last night with the 31 points. And he got help. DeAndre Aiden nearly had a double-double, 19-9 and from him. He shot 8 of 13 from the field. And Chris Paul had 22 points and 11 assists. The Suns were the more efficient team. The Suns were the better team. And now, the Pelicans, with all the effort they put forth, find themselves now down three games to two. They have to win the next two games, including Thursday's game, which will be at 6.30, thank goodness for that, at the Smoothie King Center. You had an opportunity here to steal a game on the road. It's not to say that they still can't, but now the pressure is going to be on the Pelicans. They It's a must-win on Thursday night. And then try to force a game seven and then win the game seven. And we could argue who would have more pressure on them in game seven. You'd probably lean towards Phoenix because they are the top seed struggling with the eight seed. But you have to get to a game seven scenario first. 
You have to get there first. And because you dropped the game last night, you can't even be thinking about Game 7 scenarios. You have to just think about have to win the next game. And once again, B.I. was not terrible last night. He wasn't the best player on the court. You could argue he was the third best player on the court. That's not going to win you a playoff game. It's just not. And Phoenix is a veteran team. They've been here. They've done that. They have a good coach. Were they energized by being back at home? Absolutely they were. Will the Pelicans get a a huge emotional boost? Will the Smoothie King Center be rocking Thursday night at 630? You are correct. Make no bones about it. And we'll see if the Pels can get back on track and stave off elimination. They've played really well in this series. But when you have a giant on the ropes, you have to take advantage. You can never let a giant kind of collect their thoughts and survive. Think of it in boxing terms. You got them on the ropes, boom, 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 boom. And then you don't knock them out. And the bell rings and they get to survive to another round. Usually, they come out. They survive the round. They come out and they're hungry. And then they win the match. It happens all the time in boxing. The Pelicans had that opportunity last night in Phoenix. Couldn't get it done. And Phoenix wins the game. And now they're in control of the series again. And both teams have proven they can win on the road. Each team split at home through the first four games. And I can guarantee you that Phoenix, Chris Paul, Monty Williams, and company, they're going to be looking to close this bad boy out. They do not want this to go seven games. So I would expect an inspired effort once again from Phoenix. We heard reports yesterday that if it came down to a deciding game, a game seven, that Devin Booker may even try to play. Those are the reports coming out yesterday. So they understand the situation. They're the favorite to, they were the favorite when the playoffs began to win the NBA Finals. So, Did the window close on the Pels to steal that game and then be in control of the series and only need need to win one of the final two? I don't know. It feels that way. It feels that way. But Pels will have an opportunity to even up the series. And I've said this before, no matter what, series... The fact that they made the play-in tournament after the terrible start, rookie head coach, no Zion Williamson. They won both play-in games, and now they've taken two games away from the number one seed in the defending Western Conference champs. That's a win. It's a win all day long.
Grizzlies T-Wolves last night as well. They had a very good game in their series. Just like the Pels being the eight seed testing the one seed, the other team that won their play-in tournament game to get into the playoffs, the Minnesota Timberwolves, have been given everything they can handle to the Memphis Grizzlies, the two seed. Memphis found a way last night. Ja Morant, been talking to you guys about Ja, how special he is. He put on a dunk last night where there was a photo and then it was sent out going, yes, Ja Morant dunked on this play, dunked from here. He is an explosive, explosive athlete. His last second layup gives the Grizzlies a 111-109 victory. They now lead their series against the Timberwolves three games to two. And they're looking to move on to the next round. And Timberwolves have been playing tough in this series. Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards have been playing really well. This is kind of their breakout playoff series together. It's good to see Minnesota being relevant for the first time in a long time. But Memphis was just too good last night. Bain had 25 points. They got Clark off the bench giving them 21, but Ja led him with 30 points. He did not have a good shooting night, 9 of 22, but when he needed to make the shots, he did. He also had 13 rebounds, 9 assists, nearly had a triple-double, the young star who was awarded the most improved player in the NBA for this season. And the Miami Heat, they took care of business last night, closing out their series against the Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta was the play-in winner there. Miami, the one seed, even with a bunch of backups on the field, on the court, rather, no Jimmy Butler in last night's game. They were banged up. They had some guys take some rest. It didn't matter. Miami pulls out the win 97-94. to They're your number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They win that series four games to one, and they advance on to the Eastern Conference semifinals. So NBA playoff action. Some good games. Be interesting to see if... Both the Suns and the and the Grizzlies, who have been tested immensely here in the first couple, the first round of the NBA playoffs, can actually punch their ticket on Thursday night and move on, or are they going to be tested with Game Sevens? Got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. Not a great night on the diamond for McNeese or LSU. Yeah, both teams lost. We'll recap that action for you coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. It's like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. Or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
Here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you're a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or for any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year. There's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple. It's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates. 811 is a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, reminds you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig. We do have a poll question of the day on this way back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. If you haven't picked up on the uh, music, it's late 80s, early 90s country music. That's right. Hannah Five Names is very happy with herself today. But we do have a poll question of the day. What is the superior wing style? Yes. Foodie question of the week. What's the superior wing style? What is it for you? Yeah, Uh, I'm I'm asking you. I'm just like saying it out loud again. (laughs) Uh, No, mine are flats. I like them a lot better because drums, there's like... You don't know where like, you want to like take a bite at. A flat, you just go right from the middle. You don't know. What do you mean you don't know where to take a bite at on a drum? Like where do you like where are you? There's the, the big, best huge, part? meaty part on the drum. What What do you do? Are you trying to eat the other end first? Well, Who you taught know, you how to eat okay, chicken wings? Not up and down which way, <laughs> around the drum. Which Which way do you like, do your first bite? That's what I'm saying. Flats, I guess go. Uh, jink. Sometimes you can even go if you have, if you make the perfect buffalo wings or whatever wings you want to make. If you do it, we did it in a crock pot, and you can literally go from one side of the flat and just go and take all that off, just straight clean bone left. I see. Right now it's 50 percent drums, fifty percent flats. We already have votes. People of love course. the foodie question of the week. It's the best question. Darren says, flats are for women and kids. <laughs> Here's a gift. I'm a grown man. Uh, you know. Hart says, flats for the win. And I may never find a more appropriate time to use this gift again since I hear the promo every day on the station. Tommy want wingy. That's right. <laughs> from Tommy Boy. Raymond's least favorite liner of the entire We day. don't need to share some things on the air. There's some certain things that we shouldn't share on the air. Sure. So keep voting on our poll question of the week. Poll question of the day, which is our foodie poll question of the week, rather. Yes. What is the superior wing style? Is it drums? Oh. Is it flats? You notice boneless is not on this list. We're going traditional here. I'm sure someone in the next few hours will comment, what about boneless? And that will spark a debate while they're, where people will be fighting with each other over the poll question of the day. I mean, it's 50-50 on Facebook. We have two that just say flats. One says drums. The other one says drums, which is from Jude Miller. Drums, Caribbean jerk at B-dubs. Yeah. There we go. So keep voting on the poll wings. question of the day. Leave your comments, if you will. 
on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you're nice about it and keep it clean for the kids. Let's talk a little baseball. Let's talk a little college baseball at that. McNeese got themselves a second crack at taking down ULM. ULM is not a good baseball program. But they are a team in the Sun Belt, while McNeese is a team in the Southland. And the Warhawks previously had already defeated McNeese in a midweek affair up in Funroe. Well, McNeese was looking to even that season series, get a game back against ULM. They've been playing so well in Southland Conference play, back-to-back weekend series sweeps. But they fell last night 8-7 to there at the Joe, Joe Miller Ballpark in Lake Charles, to ULM. They'll begin a three-game Southland Conference series at Texas A&M Corpus Christi on Friday. For a team like McNeese, even though beating ULM would be good, it's not really the end of the world. Because now we're to the point of the season where we're in the second half of the conference schedule. And for a program like McNeese, that's all that matters. These midweek games for the Cowboys really don't matter. And what I mean by that is to this point in the season, it's been well established that the Southland Conference is going to be a one-bid team for an NCAA regional. They're not getting an at-large bid into the regional play. There's not. Whoever wins the conference tournament is going to get that spot. The Southland is a little down. It's wide open. They're not a two-team bid. They're just not. So, losing ULM, yes, disappointing. Would like to get that win, especially against a ULM team that has a losing record. That's a game that you should win, but they didn't. But, if you're the Cowboys, eyes on the prize. That's conference championship. They have ascended to atop the Southland Conference standings. That's all that matters. Keep building up momentum. Go on the road to Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Win those three games against the Islanders. Try to get try to get a sweep. If not, at least take two of three. And maintain your spot atop the Southland Conference standings and continue building momentum heading to the Southland Conference tournament because no matter what McNeese does or any team in the Southland Conference does during the regular season, they're not getting two teams into an NCAA regional play. Just not. So for McNeese, not a huge deal. LSU, they're to that point as well. Their RPI is good enough. Losing last night like they did to UNO, not optimal. UNO, by the way, from the Southland Conference, is not optimal. Snaps the four-game winning streak. And is that going to hurt the Tigers' RPI, it may take a little bit of a hit because you lost to an average UNO privateers team. But the great thing for LSU is this. They're nationally ranked. They're going to be right now, they're on the line to be an at-large bid to as a two-seed. 
And as we've established over and over again with this team is that this is a program that traditionally always always does well at its conference tournament to improve its seeding. So yes, LSU fans not happy with the fact that their team lost at UNO on a Tuesday night. Absolutely not. Not thrilled with the way the bullpen pitched or the fact that the Tigers gave up four runs in the bottom of the sixth inning to lose the game. But a very good Georgia team comes to town for an SEC three-game series this weekend, Friday through Sunday. You win that series, yeah, the Tuesday loss isn't going to matter. It's all about you're to the point of the season now where you're balancing things out. Winning an SEC series against the second-best team in the SEC East, that's what your goal is. You'd like to win the midweek contest against UNO, but if you win the series against Georgia, it doesn't really matter. It just doesn't. Because LSU is going to get into an NCAA regional. They don't need to win their conference. They don't need to have an amazing RPI. Their RPI is good enough that they're going to get in to the NCAA regional. It's all up to them to get into a better regional for themselves. They still have time to do that with conference series against Georgia and Alabama and Ole Miss and Vandy and then the SEC tournament in Hoover, Alabama. Disappointing midweek affairs for both the Cowboys and the Tigers, but neither one of them really hurts them in the big picture of things for this season. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll continue the college baseball talk. Heard from Matt Deggs earlier this week. We'll look at things. They got a big series this weekend. They've built up some great momentum, and it sure does seem like they're trending in the right direction as a team that may get an at-large bid to one of those NCAA regionals. You listen to a Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. P3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves. Just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beat twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles wants to take you out to the ball game with our latest Astros weekend getaway. The Houston Astros take on the Texas Rangers on May 21st, and you can be there. Register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score yourself four tickets, a tour of the ballpark, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. That's right. Listen up. Four tickets, Rangers, Astros, on May the 21st. Tour of Minute Maid Ballpark and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. 
Astro Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Le Meridian Houston Downtown, and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. But you can only score the Astros Weekend Getaway by becoming a member of our clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. It's Wednesday, so it means it's our foodie question of the week. Yeah, foodie question of the week. And it's a uh, divisive one. What is the superior wing style? Is it drums or is it flats? You out there listening, you're torn. 50-50 right now. 50% drums, 50% flats. Oh, JPK, the OD, is being interactive with us. Foodie slash throwback Wednesday mashup, Little Wing, Flats. He also shared a great Stevie Ray Vaughan song, Little Wing. Outstanding. That's next level. Next level. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Do we have any comments on Facebook for our foodie poll question of the week here on this Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company? Let's see. He was being slow today. I want to load forever. Hello. Oh, now I have eight comments. Oh, geez. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. All right. So, more very efficient comments on flats or drums. And then Martin Janik says, What about bones? Question mark. And no wings is not a sandwich. Five names. You know what? I'm done with you. He's, he's done. Done with. Um, and also says, Mar- Brian Gidry says, drums must be drumstick, so flat must be, I have to go with drums. That's what he said. Uh, and then Martin came back with, and just a little FYI for Yankee fans, when ordering wings at a Yankees game, please throw trash trash in your nearest trash cans. You know the things you, you accuse the actors of banging on, LOL, and not on the field? <laughs> Oh, that leads us. Yeah, I was going to make that point, but that leads us right to it. So the amazing letter that we were waiting for concerning Major League Baseball, concerning the New York Yankees, was finally unveiled. It was not nearly as damning as we thought it was going to be, the way it was built up, the way the Yankees fought so hard taking it to court to have this letter not reach you know the public realm is phenomenal but the letter is finally detailed and guess what the Yankees cheated too what what I sat there and told you about this over and over again Astros cheated yes that was documented they stole signs and used trash cans and video equipment. They cheated. They got caught. And Rob Manford wanted to make an example of them. And he did. And the Astros became the easy villains in this piece. But the Red Sox cheated and used Apple watches to cheat to steal signs. And then they cheated again. And the Yankees cheated. And the Yankees were been some of the biggest complainers about the Astros. Brian Cashman, the GM, recently said in the last few weeks 
that, you know, it still hurt about the 2017. Like, they felt that that got stolen away from them. And the players felt that they got stolen. And they were critical of Jose Altuve stealing an MVP away from Aaron Judge. And, oh, it's it so, it, oh, my God. Oh, oh, the Astros are so evil. They stole this. And Yankee fans complained. And the Yankees complained. And they whined. And blah, 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 blah. Yep, sure enough. They were cheating before the Astros were. Imagine that. Imagine that. A years-old letter sent by Major League Baseball to the New York Yankees and obtained by ESPN on Tuesday details illicit use of technology during the 2015 and 2016 seasons. That predates the cheating done by the Astros, by the way. That was relatively benign within the context of sign-stealing scandals. Earlier this month, the U.S. Second Court of Appeals denied the Yankees' request to keep the letter from Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manford to Yankees General Manager Brian Cashman under seal. The letter was published on Tuesday. Manford's letter contains information about technology violations that occurred before the commissioner issued a memo to all teams in September of 2017, a mandate that was regarded as a benchmark in the evolving concern about sign stealing within the sport. Manford warned teams that he would hold the front offices and staffers accountable for violations and that violations faced penalties that included the possible loss of draft picks. In January of 2020, the Astros, more severe than the Red Sox, were penalized by for using technology to steal signs in the 2017 season and then in 2018 after the memo was issued. Uh-huh. In the letter, Manford informed the Yankees that Major League Baseball's investigation found that the team's players watched the monitors to discern pitch sequence information that was then relayed to base runners in the hope that they could communicate this to the batter. Additionally, sources told ESPN that the letter notes that former Yankees pitching coach Larry Rothschild called the replay room to ask about pitch identification, which is also against the rules. What? So sign stealing and using technology to steal signs is was rampant and has been rampant in baseball? What are you talking about? I am stunned. Let me pretend to fall out my chair. Stealing signs has been part of baseball for 200 damn years. Been that way from Jump Street. From Jump Street. I'm not an Astros fan. Not. But the way national media, the way that other teams tried to make the Astros as the big bad boogeyman for doing something that everyone else was doing and everyone else has been doing for years, whether that's having players knowingly inject themselves with steroids to signs. Cheating has been part of baseball from the beginning. You're constantly trying to steal signs. I've seen parents flash lights in their pickup trucks behind the center field wall at ball games for baseball and softball right here in Acadiana trying to help distract the batters or try to help steal signs. It's at every level of baseball. And it doesn't matter that the Astros 
batted better and were a more productive hitting team on the road in that World Series against the Dodgers when they didn't have the advantage of their sign stealing and the trash cans at home. Everyone will say they cheated. They cheated, they cheated, they cheated, they cheated. Yes, they cheated. I guarantee you the Dodgers were cheating too. We just haven't found out about it. And the Yankees, who tried to sit there and say, oh, the Astros stole that World Series appearance from us, or Jose Altuve stole the MVP away. Shut your dirty, stupid mouth. That's what I got to say to the Yankees. Shut it. Major League Baseball and Rob Manford made the Astros the scapegoat. Wanted to make an example, knowing good and well that his two glamour franchises, because there's about a handful of glamour franchises in Major League Baseball. Yankees, Red Sox, Cardinals, Cubs, Dodgers. Those are your big five. Those are your big glamour franchises. And two of those five... Major League Baseball made sure to protect. They decided to take the Astros behind the woodshed and make an example of them, but they didn't do the same thing with the Red Sox, and they sure as hell didn't do the same thing with the Yankees. That tells you everything you need to know. So even though I'm not an Astros fan, because I'm not, I don't cheer on the Strohs, they're not my team. the way Manford and Major League Baseball did them, it was all for show. It's all for show. It's all for show. Because if they really cared about the integrity of the game, they would have punished the Red Sox more. They would punish the Yankees more. And they would have done things far more. But they didn't. It's all a farce. It's all nothing but a farce. It's all just a bunch of BS. Speaking of Major League Baseball, speaking of those Houston Astros, Jake Odorizzi, I guess, is allowed to get off the bus these days. After being absolutely awful to start the season, he had his first really good outing last night for the Strohs. Allowed only one hit over six innings to end a long, winless streak for himself. Kyle Tucker, meanwhile, he homered and drove in a total of three runs as the Strohs took down the Texas Rangers 5-1 on Tuesday to get back on track after losing game one. Game three of the series between the in-state rivals from Globe Live Park up there in lovely Arlington. First pitch will be 7:05, and you can listen to that game right here on the game. Astros Rangers tonight, 7.05. Listen to it right here. But yes, Jake Odorizzi is now allowed to get back on the bus. Because the way he was pitching was not good. Was not good. And when you're facing a terrible team like the Texas Rangers, you got to take advantage of it. You just do. You have to take advantage. Can't let those opportunities slip by, slip out of your hands. So the fact they got Jake, who's not even really part of the rotation, he's more like their number five pitcher. The fact that he was able to go out there and pitch well, get the win, and you got production out of Kyle Tucker, and the Yankees were exposed for cheating yesterday. Hey, oh man, it's got to be a glorious morning. It's got to be a glorious morning for a certain Houston Astro fan. It is. It should be a glorious morning 
It should be. But, but the draft. Together. Oh, that yeah. draft. But, but the draft is still coming. Oh. Ah! It's like winter's coming on the Game of Thrones. Tomorrow night. The draft night is coming. Could not come fast enough. The Ashes are going to win tomorrow their midday game. And then the Saints cannot draft a quarterback. Please don't do it. For we'll, all it is holy. We'll be praying <laughs> for Footsie. Don't. We'll be praying. Pray for me. <laughs> we'll be praying for Footsie. He might not come in on Friday. No, he'll come in. He'll just be miserable. <laughs> or be in the hospital. Either one, we'll have to figure it out. Hopefully, hopefully he'll be happy and happy as a clam on Friday morning. Hopefully Friday <laughs> will be a glorious Friday morning. That's what we can hope for. Oh, man. Keep voting our poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. Is it drums or flats when it comes to chicken wings? We want to hear from you. It's a great debate. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. We'll wrap up our number one coming up. Talk a little Raging Cajun baseball. That's next here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Lafayette Marble and Granite is the South's largest cultural marble factory, and they pride themselves on earning your business. Look, LMG provides more than just show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens and your bathrooms, though. They can also take your outdoor living spaces or your man caves to another level. Look, you like to entertain. You like to entertain during the fall for football games, LSU, UL, Saints, McNeese. You like to have all the boys over. Get it. Why not? Reach out to LMG to help take your outdoor living area, your man cave area, to another level. That way, you can be the envy of your neighborhood on game days in the fall. Visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all their sensational services and what products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford. Lafayette Marble and Granite is looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Checking on the poll question of the day. Was going to talk about Raging Cajuns baseball, our number one, what Matt Deggs had to say about this week, but then I got sidetracked with a rant about Major League Baseball. My apologies, Raging Cajun fan. We'll get to your Cajuns to start off next hour. <laughs> I just can't, just can't help myself. Just can't help myself. Poll question of the day. What is the superior wing style? It's our foodie question of the week because it's way back Wednesday. Right now, 52% of you say flats. 48% say drums. JPK, the OD, says, come on, Hannah Five Names. Cue up a little SRV Little Wing. Make it happen. <laughs> she just, the silence speaks volumes. While we have a few minutes here to close out our number one, though, Mark Emeritt, in his buffoonery, has decided to finally step down and retire. He has spent a decade just stealing money. That's all he's done. He's been paid an enormous amount of money, like $2 million per year, to be 
one of the worst leaders in modern sports history. Like when you look up in a dictionary, buffoon, incompetent, leader, you'll go, oh yeah, Mark Emmert. He led the NCAA. He's leaving in 2023. All the accomplishments that he's had. Letting college basketball be taken over by sneaker companies. Corruption left and right in basketball, football. Not being able to do anything. Not being consistent with punishment when it comes to academic cheating. Recruiting violations. and Just across the board. There's nothing he has done in his tenure that is considered a win. Imagine being at your job and being paid millions of dollars for a decade to be completely incompetent and not accomplish one damn thing. That's why Mark Emmert's been stealing money. Good for him. And good for collegiate athletics that he is going to be no longer part of the organization and part of the process. The NCAA will be better off for it. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Good morning. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. It's 704 on this lovely Way Back Wednesday edition of our show. I'm your host, Raymond Pars III, the big, bald, and beautiful one. I'm joined inside the game studios by a woman who wants to create chicken wing violence wherever she goes, the producer extraordinaire, kind of five names. We appreciate you listening to our show on your radio dial or on the free game mobile app. For both Android and Apple devices. You can also check us out on Google Home, Alexa. And if you're fortunate enough here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast. Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. About a half hour from right now, Trenton Trosclair, Eunice High softball coach, will be joining us. His team is two wins away from a state championship as they prepare to go to Sulphur this week. So... One of three public schools from St. Landry Parish going to Sulphur for the state tournament. Beauchan, Eunice High, Port Berry, and then a private school, Opelousas Catholic, is going to be playing in the state championships, semifinals and state championships, hopefully right down the road in Broussard. 
because that's where the select schools are playing their state championship games. St. Lady Parish, stand up. Good year in softball for the parish that I call home. Was not a optimal night on the diamond for LSU and McNeese baseball teams. They lost both of their contests. McNeese falls short 8-7 against ULM there at the Joe. LSU, meanwhile, went on the road, took on UNO, lost 8-4. Bullpen was not great. Are these big deals? Not really. Not really. Look, LSU is already slotted to be a two-seed in an NCAA regional. They can only help themselves the remainder of the season, try to even maybe host a regional if they can put together a run here in the back half of the conference schedule and then make a run at the SEC tournament in Hoover at the Met, which they traditionally do. Losing to UNO, not great. They're not happy about it. Does it hurt them? Not really, because they still got series against Georgia, Alabama, Ole Miss, and Vandy before the SEC tournament. Tigers will be just fine. And the Nice Cowboys will be just fine. Losing to ULM, once again, not great. But here's the thing. Beating ULM was not going to propel McNeese in the RPI anyway. Wasn't going to help them. Was not going to help them. And the Southland's wide open, and the Southland is going to be a one-bid league yet again this year. So it doesn't matter if McNeese beats ULM on a random Tuesday in April. The only thing that matters for Justin Hill's team is finishing the season strong and winning the conference tournament. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Because that's how they're going to punch their ticket to their third straight NCAA regional is by winning their conference tournament. Astros last night, they get back on track. Jake Odorizzi actually was competent. Not only was he competent, he was actually, wait for it, good? For the first time in a long time, Jake pitched well, only gave up one hit in six innings of work last night as he ended a long witless drought for himself. Kyle Tucker homered and drove in three runs as the Astros beat the Rangers 5-1 to one on Tuesday. They'll play again tonight from Globe Life Park up there in Arlington. First pitch is set for 7.05, and of course, you can listen to that game right here on the game, 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles. But of course, last night was dominated by the NBA playoffs. Miami Heat eliminate the Atlanta Hawks, win that series. They call it a gentleman's sweep. Four games to one. They move on. Minnesota Timberwolves, man, they're trying their best. They're giving the Memphis Grizzlies everything they can handle. But Ja Morant is, no offense to Carl Anthony Towns, the best player in that series. And he proved it again last night, scoring the game-winning layup as the Grizzlies, your two-seed in the West, pull out the win. And now they lead that series three games to two. And the other series, your nightcap, was the New Orleans Pelicans taking on the Phoenix Suns. And I said it over and over again and over and over again. Brandon Ingram needs to get 30-plus points. Brandon Ingram needs to be the best player on the court for the Pels to win. And last night, he was not. 
And look, I'm not putting all the responsibility for the Pels to win this series on the shoulders of Brandon Ingram. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying the reality is against a team like Phoenix, even without Devin Booker in the lineup because he's injured with the hamstring, that B.I. has to be the best player on the court for the Pels to win. Phoenix has veteran leadership. Phoenix has Chris Paul, future Hall of Famer. Phoenix has a very good double-double machine in DeAndre Aiden. And last night, Mikael Bridges went off and had a career game. A guy that had been a real, really not an offensive factor, scores 30-plus points. Chris Paul has a double-double, and Phoenix wins fairly easily against the Pels to take game five, and now they're up three games to two in this best-of-seven series. B.I. barely had 20 points. The way the Pelicans are constructed, they have some nice young talent. They have some depth. This is a very good foundation season. But against a one seed in the playoffs, even without their best volume shooter, Brandon Ingram still has to be the best player on the court for the Pels to win. And when he's been the best player on the court, they've won both of those games. When he's not, they've lost all three. It's that simple. It's that simple. So game six, Thursday night inside the Smoothie King Center, 6.30 tip. Pelicans are going to have to try to stave off elimination. Will they be able to do so? Can they force a game seven? I think they can. It would help if B.I. got some help. But the way the roster is constructed and the way Phoenix plays defense against New Orleans, it makes it difficult. Look, you're going to get about 22 points from C.J. McCollum, but you need 32, 34 points from B.I. to have a chance to win and hope somebody else steps up. Jose Alvarado did last night. He got got you double-digit points, but he was one of the few guys that did. Once again, I've said it before. The fact that this team overcame the 3-16 and starts of the season, rookie head coach, no Zion Williamson, to make the play-in tournament. They won both play-in tournament games, and now they have, they're have they pushing the one seed you're defending Western Conference champs. That is a success. That is a success for the Pelicans. Even if they lose Thursday night inside the Smoothie King Center, and people will be upset. MC Louis P., our beloved friend, Louis Prejean, will be upset. But he also is happy because he knows that this is a what we call a foundation season. This is a foundation season, and then you get better next year because next season you'll have a healthy Zion Williamson and you'll have a top 10 pick, a lottery pick courtesy of the Lakers on your roster as well. This is the foundation year. Next year could be the step up. Think of it but like what Memphis did. Memphis made the play-in tournament last year. John Morant's the centerpiece. He was taking the pick right behind Zion. Now Memphis is ascended to being the two seed in the Western Conference. Pels make, you know, get Zion back and get a top 10 pick from the Lakers. Could that be them next year? Could they be a top two, you know, top three, top four seed in the West? Maybe. This is the foundation year. This is the transition year. Let's talk a little Raging Cajuns baseball while we have a few minutes here. No midweek game this week or next week for the Cajuns. 
It's done on purpose, the way the schedule is done, because you get got finals going on. So Deggs is trying to make sure his team is not as distracted as they normally are with midweek contests. So none of that. You just work, just focus on the weekend series. And they are, man, feels like the Raging Cajuns baseball team has definitely turned a corner. They are keep improving week after week. That RPI number keeps going up. They sure are playing themselves to be in a position to be an at-large team for an NCAA regional, even if they don't win the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. And trust me, Matt Deggs wants them to win the regular season championship, and he wants them to win the conference tournament. Now, Texas State's probably going to have something to say about that. They're the best team right now in the Sunbelt. Cajuns still have to play them, too. Three of their last four series, though, of the season are against three of the worst teams in the conference. The one team that's not, that they still have to play, is the team leading the conference, the Bobcats at Texas State, from lovely San Marcos, Texas. But the team has seemingly turned a corner. Another great weekend in the books. They'll be on the road at App State this coming weekend for a three-game conference set. And, you know, last week, They were hanging tough, going, you know, solo home run, solo home run against LSU over at Alex Box for the Wally Pawniff Jr. Classic. And then the wheels came off there in the middle of the game, and they lost fairly easily to LSU. But they bounced back, and they did so in a big way, and Deggs talked about his team's ability to bounce back from that disappointing performance against LSU. I don't know that it did. Uh, we're, we're, we're so day to day. There was some ugly words exchanged, <laughs> uh, you know, and this team has always responded to tough talk and, and challenges and uh, not all of them will, but this team does. They're a little bit different. They're tough uh, and they like it sometimes and they need it. And uh, it was good to see them have the practice, really that practice we had there. We, we had a simulated game and uh, coach pitch game, and uh, I don't even think we had water for most of it. I don't even know that water was out there, was, was there? I mean, it was. Uh, we just got after it, and uh, finally, I think we got some water out there. But uh, we're just tough-minded kids. That, you know, don't. It doesn't take a whole lot to make these dudes happy. This team, when I say it's turned a corner. They went from hovering around 500 to now being well above 500. They're third in the Sunbelt Conference standings, p- positioning themselves to be in a great position for the conference tournament, which will be held up in Montgomery where the minor league team, the Biscuits, play. Same week as the SEC tournament in Hoover. And they've turned a corner because – They've won 10 of their last 15 games. And Deggs talked about how his team has been able to turn things around and how they're going out there with the confidence to be able to win every game. It seemingly has been that way for the last three-plus weeks. They're tough, man. They're tough-minded. And they're, they're some of the best finishers I've had in a long time. Like, if you really watch them, they finish. They finish series. Uh, you know, they, they finish uh, just – 
y'all don't get to see what I see in workouts and in the weight room. And uh, they just, they finish strong at everything. And uh, they have a big passion for this game and they love to compete. And Plus they're really athletic, man. They do some good stuff. I mean, yesterday was like a video game just with what I was calling and it was bang, bang, bang. It's been a long time since you've been, uh, you know, I've been able to do all that stuff. And we've had more than one game like that this year. This team, whew. you know, I, sometimes you see a team just kind of develop in front of your eyes. And, you know, Degg's first year, there was all the emotion because Robe had passed and they unveiled the statue. And, and he was also playing his former team, Sam Houston State. There was a lot of emotion there. And then, of course, the season gets cut short because of COVID. And then last year, it was kind of a struggle, right? It was really... Dex's first year and they had some growing pains but towards the end of the season they started playing better it appeared to me that they had turned a corner and they made a great run at the conference tournament well this year it feels like this is finally Dex's team if that makes any sense and you've seen the team grow up in front of in front of us we've seen it firsthand they really buy in to him. This is his team now. It's not him coaching Tony Robichaux's team anymore. It feels like we've gotten to the point now where this has become his team, his program. Sometimes it takes a little while, and it's been delayed because of COVID and everything that happened. But this team really is kind of a representation of Deggs himself. And they seem to have the right mindset. They seem to have the mindset of, hey, we have a chance for postseason baseball. Let's get it together. Let's lock in. Let's win these series. Let's build up some momentum. Let's win a conference tournament, and let's get to an NCAA regional. And Deggs spoke about his team's mindset. They just like to compete. They like hanging out, and they love to play baseball. Uh, so just in that, it kind of makes you day-to-day -day and, and moment-to-moment, which is good, right? you got to have that in this game. Uh, but the LSU game was ugly, and I'm not taking anything away from them. They, they played – pretty well uh, LSU did but uh, you can't punch out 13 times and and uh, give give away what we gave away and uh, you know they you got to make the other team work for outs and then so to see us adjust off that and then go do that you know Georgia State's got a good RPI as well and and uh, they've been really tough to beat there and so to win it the way we did with uh, Connor uh, you know in the in the ninth there uh, running two strike, hanging change up out the ballpark straight away. Uh, I think it, it, it knocked the, the breath out of them a little bit, and we were able to kind of keep that momentum going because that was off their guy too. Look, Georgia State had a great RPI in the 30s, and the Cajuns went, went right into there and said, here's a sweep. And phenomenal performance by the Raging Cajuns as they keep improving their chances at getting an at-large bid. And once again, they may not need it. They may win their conference tournament and punch their own ticket to an NCAA regional, but after the weekend that occurred, the Cajuns who are outside the top 50 in the NCAA RPI sit right now at 44. They improved by almost eight spots. So now they're all the way up to 44 in the latest RPI, Louisiana Tech 
50, Tulane 48. And the Raging Cajuns right there at 44, two spots below Alabama. So Cajuns trending in the right direction as they try to continue marching towards a postseason berth. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. Get to know the game time. Oh, yeah. We'll unveil that next right here on 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, me, oh, my, crawfish pie. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with a $50 gift certificate to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville. Richard Seafood Patio has some of the best boiled crawfish, but also serving up boiled shrimp and crabs. They also got fried and grilled seafood, burgers, steaks, pull boys, and even a seafood buffet. Are you hungry yet? Because I am. Go sign up right now for the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to score a $50 gift certificate to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville. Once again, you had to sign up for our clubhouse to be able to score that $50 gift certificate to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on Martin to the show. Good morning, brother, on this Way Back Wednesday edition of the show. How you doing? What's on your mind? Oh, I'm doing good. Good morning, Mr. Ball, beautiful one. <laughs> uh, Thank you, bud. <laughs> uh, I just um, wanted to, to kind of talk about, you know, uh, the Yankee situation or whatever. You know, I'm a um, diehard Boston Red Sox fan, but I'm a fair Red Sox fan, and I agree 100% that they should have been penalized as well, you know, for, you know, the sign stealing or whatnot. And I do agree that, you know, um, Alex Cora shouldn't be managing the team because it just kind of gives us a bad reputation. But, I mean, no matter what you do, Yankees fans are going to always complain. They're going to always try and find because they they can't accept the fact that their glory days are done. And getting, like, the most flashiest players, the highest place players, hardly ever, ever works. Refer to the Los Angeles Lakers, refer to the – New Jersey Nets. It hardly ever works because they got egos and it really never your meshes. But I just wanted to say Joe Torre is not walking in that locker room. Tino Martinez is not walking in that locker room. Bernie Williams is not walking in that locker room. So the glory days are over. Just face the facts. Shoot, they probably trying to find some evidence saying that the Braves cheated last last year to 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 win the World Series, but. No matter what they do, they they always gonna complain. That's why I'm a Red Sox fan, and uh, I got one request before I let you go, Mister Mister RP3. What you got, brother? Next, uh, next time Louis Brejean comes in in the studios, 
could we please get a chair dance off between him and Hannah Five Names to, to <laughs> crown the undisputed chair dance off champion? And y'all have a good day. And the NFL draft is one day away. We're yeah, on is, the, the, the eve. So hopefully, uh, Foot made it. The day is here. Unfortunately, he's got to wait 48 more hours, but we're going to make it. Have a good one, buddy. You too, brother. Good phone call, Bob Martin. Good phone call, Bob Martin. First of all, he wants to see a challenge between you and Lewis. I'm here for that all day long. So that <laughs> that that is a good thing. Second thing that he made. Look, I've said it before. I find it interesting that core. Now, the Astros made the decision not to bring A.J. Hinch back, right? So I, I want to make I want them to make that clear. Ownership decided to part ways with their GM and their skipper. Major League Baseball decided to suspend them. The Astros decided to fire them. Boston was like, we'll keep Alex. Right. So that's the difference there. The Red Sox were like, yeah, okay, you busted us. You busted us for cheating. Okay, well, we're, we're still going to keep our skipper. So I do want to point that out there. And here's the other thing. Look, I have no problem with teams being punished, whether that's Boston or the Yankees, or the Dodgers, or my Braves, or the Astros. It really doesn't matter. If you break the rules, I'm, I'm here for it. If you break the rules, then you should be punished. Please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. If you break the rules, you should be punished, absolutely. But you can't pick and choose who you punish and who you don't. You can't pick and choose who you're going to make a scapegoat and who you're not going to make a scapegoat. If you're going to bring all the, you know, you know, just, you know, rain, you know, fire down on the Astros, then you should be doing it against the Red Sox and you should be doing it against the Yankees. And that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Because once again, as I pointed out to you before, New York Yankees, Boston Red Sox, Chicago Cubs, St. Louis Cardinals, Los Angeles Dodgers. Those are the five Major League Baseball franchises that Major League Baseball holds dear. Those are their five glamour franchises. Those are the ones that they care about. Those are the ones that they protect. And to be perfectly honest with you, the big four-letter network could care less about anybody else. So Astros, Braves, doesn't matter. You can win. You can be great. They don't care, and Major League Baseball is not going to do you any favors. Just as not. They'll do favors for the other five, but not your team. And that's my problem with the way Rob Manford and Major League Baseball handled the Astros. Once again, I am not an Astros fan. Did they cheat? Yes. Did they get busted? Yes. Should they be punished? Yes. But they were made an example out of, while Major League Baseball knowingly, knowingly knew that the Yankees, Red Sox, and other teams were cheating. You make you make an example out of the Astros because they use trash cans? Okay. Great. And once again, everyone that clutches their pearls about these type of things, baseball cheating is part of baseball. It has been that way for 200 years. So, calm down, morality guy. Just calm down. Let's get an update on the poll question of the day. 
before we have to hit our time out here. Poll question of the day is, what is the superior wing style? Is it drums? Is it flats? Right now, 53% of you say drums. 47% say flats. And y'all are getting fired up, man. Got some good comments here, too. Y'all are all on this poll question of the day. Wings. Who would have thought wings would have got you this fired up? Let's get to some comments here. Texan and Katie Anna says, by flat, are you talking about chicken tenders? You know what children eat, which are no way even close to wings? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Brad says, if I had to choose one, it's flats, but I eats them both. <laughs> oh, man. Ton also says flats, they're buffalo wings, not buffalo legs. It's a fair, it's a fair comment. It's a fair comment. Do we have any comments on Facebook that you we need to get to? No comments on Facebook, but on Facebook Messenger, poor Steve. Season my poll questions when they talk about actual like meat, because he's pescatarian. Um he said he loved wings before he became pescatarian. He says but he likes them dirty, which means even though other places do call their wings dirty style, in quotes. Please do not accept substitutes. Our dirty wings are fried in sauce, then fried again and sauced again. We don't charge extra for this. Some people call this double sauce, double fried. We just call them dirt. Those sound fantastic. I don't know where he gets them from <laughs> or where he got them from because it's past tense now. But I want them. Why don't you message him and ask him to tell you? I will. There we go. Try listening right now. He's probably going to message me soon. I'm waiting for a message now. <laughs> this is me asking him. And uh, shout out to Steve. Poor Steve. <laughs> oh, Steve. My man used to live in uh, Hyde Park, New York. Nice. Huge Yankee fan. Your last caller is the reason Red Sox fans are known as something else. <laughs> I can't say all the air. Oh, Yankee Red Sox fans. Y'all never change. There's a hatred there that is just phenomenal. Speaking of baseball history. We're going to talk a little bit about that coming up about half an hour from right now when Andy McCune joins us to talk his book, Stumbling Around the Bases. But up next, we're going to talk a little high school softball, state tournaments going on this weekend in Broussard and over in Sulphur. And we're going to talk to Trenton Trosclair, the skipper of the Eunice High softball team. They're two wins away from a state championship. That's coming up next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet that netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to this Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. Man, we got our cowboy boots on today, playing late 80s, early 90s country music on the show today. Woo, buddy. Me, oh, my crawfish pie. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. 
Right now, though, it's time for us to welcome on our first guest of today's show. The state softball tournament is gearing up over in Sulphur. You'll have non-select schools, public schools, playing over there in the traditional home of the Fast Pitch 56. The private schools, your select schools, if you will, will be playing right down the road in Broussard. Semifinal action begins this Friday at both locations, and our guest, well, he's leading one of those teams that is just two wins away from a state championship. The Eunice Bobcats... 19-6 during the regular season. They earned the five seed in the class for a playoff bracket, and they took down Westgate 13-2, then beat Lakeshore 15-5, and then won a hard-fought game over North Vermillion 5-4. They're going to be taking on the number one seed in defending state champs, North DeSoto, in Friday's semifinal round. 4 p.m. is the scheduled first pitch there at field number 15 at Frash Park. It's our privilege to welcome to RP3 and company the man in charge of the Eunice Bobcats softball team, Trenton Tross, Claire. Coach, good morning to you, bud. How you doing? Good morning. I'm good. Uh, kind of running around crazy over here, but I'm good. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine, brother. Just Let's start there. Just how good does it feel to uh, be coaching your team back in uh, Sulphur? There for an opportunity, two wins away from a state championship. Yeah, man, I'm uh, it feels good. I'm excited. I'm excited for the girls because I know how hard they've worked. Um, I'm proud of them. It's a lot of good energy going on around here. It's been a while since Eunice has played in a semifinal game in Sulphur. Um, so I'm excited, man. It's a uh, it's a good thing, especially for these girls. I got a, I got a good group of uh, girls. You know. You took over a few years ago as the interim coach during the COVID-impacted season. Last year was your first year at the helm. Uh, what have you learned in such a short time as the head coach of the Eunice Bobcats? Um, <laughs> I've learned a lot about myself. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. You know, I wasn't sure if I was ready to be a head coach. Um, I've learned that there's a lot that goes a lot more that goes into it than I thought as far as just, you know, everything else besides coaching. There's a lot of stuff that you have to do. Um, and I learned that I got a really good group of girls, man. That's probably the, the main thing because coming into it, I was told some negative things about the, the program and the girls and the parents, and it's been the complete opposite of that. Uh, I have a really good, hardworking group of girls, a smart group. Um, a tough group and then the parents I haven't had any problems with them they've been nothing but supportive um, so I've learned that it, I have a really I, I came in at a good time man with a very special group of kids and, uh, and I'm thankful for that tell me how early in the season coach did you start to kind of have a feel that maybe this year's team could be something special and uh, you guys could be making a run like you did um be honest with you i never really not that i didn't think of it uh but i never really looked uh, i'm not one to look ahead um i just knew that i had a from the very start after the summer after the fall i knew i had a very dedicated group a group that was willing to, to really put in the work so i was excited going into it i knew we were going to be tough to beat i didn't know that we were going to make a run like this. I'm not going to tell you. I knew that at a certain point in the season. I just knew that I had a really dedicated group of girls who were really bought into what we were trying to do. Um, 
and I knew we were going to be competitive and hard to beat. So I didn't really have a point in the season where I was like, man, we really might have a chance to uh, to make a run. I just knew that we were going to show up and compete, and, and if, if it went our way, then it, you know, then we would, then we would make a run. But yeah, I mean, just from the beginning, the the summer workouts were, you know, I had them up here at six o'clock in the morning, and there was never a time where they were complaining about it, or or they looked tired, or they were here early, they were here to work, ready to go to work out, excited to work out at six o'clock, which is, you know, was surprising to me for teenage girls i was thinking they would be complaining about that but they weren't so from from right then and there i knew that you know i had a team that was dedicated to it and that makes everything easier you know so right right then and there i knew we were going to have a a shot to be competitive throughout the whole season going into the playoffs coach tell me a little bit about the identity of this uh, year's team what are you guys all about man this team is uh, what I've been, the word I've been using is relentless. They just, just like I just talked about with the summer, same thing going through the fall. Everything I put them through, they were, they showed up. They had a good attitude, and the effort was always 100%. I never one time had to ask them to, to work out harder or to practice harder or to play harder. Um, and they're and, and they're just freaking tough, man. It doesn't. We played in some tough. We played a tough schedule and some tough games. And their attitudes never changed. The effort never changed. It didn't matter what the score was, what point of the game it was. And I think going back to Saturday shows that we're down three to one going into the sixth. Um, and I look in the dugout, and they're still cheering. Their body language never changes. Their their faces, the look on their faces never changed. They like never doubted that we were going to come back and win. And that's kind of been all season. Um, we were down early to my move this season. It was 10 to 2 in the, I don't know, like the fourth or the fifth. And the same thing. They never, they were never pouted. They never started complaining. They never started pointing the fingers at each other. They're like, hey, find a way to win this inning and we'll go from there. And it's kind of been like that all year. Just battle, battle, never quit. I think that's, I think that's the identity of this team is just relentless, man. They, they don't stop until, until it's over. We're talking with Eunice High softball coach Trenton Trosclair. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. His team, the five seed in the Class 4A bracket, they're going to be taking on the top seed and the defending state champions, North DeSoto, Friday at Frash Park on field number 14. First pitch scheduled for 4 p.m. Coach, let's talk about this playoff run of yours. First couple of games, easy victories, lopsided uh, margins of victory for your team. But then you were tested there by North Vermillion in the quarterfinals. How important is that for your team to be tested like that during this playoff run, especially when you have to take on the defending state champs next? Yeah, uh, it's it's big. Even 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 Westgate and I know the score doesn't show it, but Westgate was a, a competitive team. They had a, a good pitcher with solid velo. Offensively, they actually swing a little bit. And Lakeshore, too. I know the score doesn't show on that one. They kind of made some errors here and there, but they were a competitive team. So I think those two games were big, to, you know, to get us ready for North Vermillion uh, because we had to show up and actually compete instead of, you know, you can get a draw where you play a team that's just not good at all. You know, that happens sometimes. Um, but then, yes, going to North Vermillion, man, we had them a district, and both district games we won were one-run games. So going into it, we knew it was going to be a battle. 
Uh, and it's very hard to beat a team three times, much less beat them three times by one run. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it it wasn't easy, and I and I've been telling them so far this week that Friday is going to be even tougher, right? So I think Saturday was really good for us. The environment was really good. There was a lot of people. Um, so I think it's definitely going to help us prepare for Friday. But yeah, it, it's going to be a it's going to be really tough Friday. So I think Saturday helped get us ready for that. Let's talk about that Friday matchup. I know you've probably already done your research, had your coaches look at it and everything, made some phone calls. North Dakota's the one seed. They're also the defending state champs. They beat Beauchamp a year ago in the title game. Um, what kind of challenges uh, does your team face Friday when you're over in Sulphur? Yeah, man, they're, they're number one for a reason. They're defending state champs for a reason. Uh, uh, they have two really good pitchers. I don't know which one we're going to face. I don't think it matters. They're both really, really good. Uh, the coaches I've talked to said they don't ha- really have any weaknesses that, that they saw, you know. So it's going to be, I think, the biggest challenge we faced this year. Um, they're number one for a reason, like I said. But we're just, you know, we're going to take the same mindset we've been taking all year. We're going to go and compete and battle and see what happens. My girls, we've, we've played a tough schedule. They haven't backed down from anyone yet, so I'm hoping they keep that mindset, man. We're just going to go. We're going to pay our best. We're going to compete our butts off um, and see what happens. Coach, appreciate your time. Congratulations on the tremendous season. Best of luck on Friday there in Sulphur when you're taking on North DeSoto. Appreciate your time, brother. Thank you so much. Yes, yes sir. Thank you all. Hey, if you're looking – to win some great prizes, then you need to go sign up for the Game Clubhouse. Go visit 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today and sign up for our clubhouse. Just hit on the rewards tab, become a member. It's free to do so. And here's the thing, you're going to win points by becoming a member. It's just that easy. And once you do become a member, you'll have the opportunity to win free stuff like A $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse. That's right. A $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse. Delicious mouth-watering steaks, adult beverages, a cigar room. You're going to have a great time. We want to hook you up with that. But we can't do that unless you become a member of our clubhouse. So help us help you. Go sign up for the game clubhouse today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com so you can score a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse. More RP3 and company coming up after this as we close out hour number two here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And I won't ever take you There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the Greater Acadiana Heart Walk is going to take place this Saturday 
in River Ranch. Look, the festivities are going to begin at 8 a.m. and the non-competitive walk begins at 9.15 a.m. If you want more information about how you can support it or how you can take part in the Greater Acadiana Heart Walk, visit greateracadianaheartwalk.org or simply contact Donna Ashcraft at donna.ashcraftatheart.org. Once again, Greater Acadiana Heart Walk this Saturday in River Ranch. Poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. What is the superior wing style? Ooh, that's one. Y'all getting fired up about this. Fired up. What's the superior wing style? 53% of you say drums. 47% of you say flats. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids, okay? No need to get sideways. No need to get loose with the comments. And if you want to give us recommendations via direct message or just commenting on the poll question with your favorite wing spots to go to, we've already had some people give us a recommendation. It was in Connecticut. We'll have to try to make a road trip to squeeze that in, but we're here for it as well. We'd love to hear from you in that regard. <laughs> Just say it. Just say it. You want to give us some recommendations of what's your go-to? What's your go-to wing spot? And what's your go-to uh, sauce? Uh, hit us up. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. What's your go-to five names? When you go get wings, what's your go-to? Not the place. I want sauce. Oh, um, Sauce. I always go to Buffalo. It depends on what I'm feeling. If I'm going to do like medium, if I'm going to do hot, but always buffalo is my favorite wing sauce. Just just traditional buffalo sauce yeah. is what you're going with. Yeah. I like a little Parmesan garlic. Ooh. I like a little honey barbecue mm. too. I like to mix it mm-hmm. up. I get into a, I'll get into a, a, a thing, like a rut. Not, not a rut. Rut has negative connotation. But I'll get into a thing where I just want the same flavor over and over again. But then sometimes I'll just mix it up. My wife's like, what you do? I'm like, hey. Woo. But I do like Parmesan garlic. And traditional buffalo, honey barbecue. Mm. Woo. Now you got me hungry for wings. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number two on this Way Back Wednesday edition is in the books. Hour number three coming up after this timeout. We'll kick it off with Andy McHugh, author of Stumbling Around the Bases. Great book about baseball history. You're going to enjoy that conversation. That's next right here. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Deeper than the ocean. Live Doppler 10 Storm Team Weather Center. I'm Chris Cozart. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Here is RP3 and Company, Way Back Wednesday edition.
the leaders of Major League Baseball mismanaging things as well. Unfortunately, a story as old as time. We talk about it. I rant about it. Rob Manford in his leadership or lack thereof and the direction of Major League Baseball. And I talk about it a lot. But you know what? This is not a just a 2022 issue. There's been issues throughout baseball's storied history. And our next guest has documented some of that in his latest book, Stumbling Around the Bases, the American League's Mismanagement in the Expansion Eras. It's our privilege to welcome to RP3 and Company, author Andy McHugh. Andy, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing fine, Raymond. How are you? Doing great, doing great. I love this book. Um, anytime somebody decides to put the spotlight on how things happen behind the scenes and how uh, people that are very wealthy struggle to put things <laughs> put things uh, together always fascinates me and uh, l let me ask you this i know you previously previously had written the book on um o'malley movers and shakers D was that book did that kind of help plant the seed so to speak or give you any insight in your latest stumbling around the basis uh yeah it definitely did but i was writing the section of uh, mover and shaker um about the expansion of 1961-1962, and looking at the, the the American League's process, which was stop and go, and they couldn't figure things out, and they couldn't get any unity, and then the National League winds up getting the, the better markets and the better ownership group, I'm thinking the National League just basically ate these guys short. Um, and then I started looking ahead to the next rounds of expansion, to the American League's decision to let Charlie Finley move uh, into Oakland, which was a pretty much of a, a disaster financially, um, and there just seemed to be a a pattern developing. You know, they, uh, Finley is allowed to move, Kansas City sues him, so the American League feels it has to force expansion, which the National League doesn't want to do and only reluctantly goes along with. Um, <clears throat> Then they pick a very bad ownership group in Seattle. Within a year, that group is bankrupt, and the, the team is sold to Milwaukee interests. And guess what? Seattle sues them. Um, so there just seemed to be this pattern of bad decision-making going on, and that got me going on the book. Why did the expansion take so long in particular for the American League? Well, I... I Frankly, I think it took a long time for baseball in general. I mean, what, what really drove the first round of expansion in 61 and 62 was the fact that two people, Walter O'Malley and Horace Stoneham, finally decided to move to the West Coast. If you go back and read, as I did, the, the sporting news from like the end of World War II in 1945 all through the 50s, there is all this recognition that there are huge markets on the West Coast for Major League Baseball which are not being fulfilled. And so there is all this chatter. Somebody wants to go to 10 teams in a league. Somebody wants to go to 12 teams in a league. Somebody wants to create a third major league. Somebody wants to take this upstart Continental League that Branch Rickey is beginning and turn that into a major league. Or maybe the Pacific Coast League can be turned into a major league team. But it's all talk. Nothing happens. All these ideas are floating around because they just knew those markets were there. Finally, O'Malley and Stoneham bite the bucket. They move. They have enormous success uh, with attendance from the beginning. And all of a sudden, the American League is caught in this 
reactive cycle in which they try and catch up attendance-wise with the Nash League by going into West Coast markets. But, hey, the best ones are already gone. The Giants and Dodgers got them. What was the biggest mistake by the American League in during the expansion era? I would say the single biggest mistake was uh, a failure to integrate. Um, they, they were months, but my God, they were years behind the National League. Do you know when the American League got its first African-American Rookie of the League, Rookie of the Year? It was 1967 with Tommy Agee, 20 years after Jackie Robinson. Um, I was just, it so happened the other day, I was, a friend was showing me some, some old baseball cards. These are from the 1964 top set. And there's each, uh, there's two cards, each showing the home run leaders from the previous year, from 1963 in both leagues. The National League card shows five Hall of Famers, four African Americans and Orlando Cepeda, a, a dark-skinned Latino. And the American League card, again, with five people, shows one African-American, Leon Wagner, who was a good player, but not a Hall of Famer, and only one Hall of Famer among the white players, Harmon Killebrew. The American League was just slow to integrate. All the stars the, uh, went into the National League, and that's reflected if you go back and look at the All-Star Game records of the 60s and 70s when the National League just dominated winning almost every game, like 90% of the games in that era. They had the stars. They had the more exciting game, the more exciting players. So I think that was the biggest signal mistake. In terms of expansion itself, uh, the American League developed a, a record of choosing often, not always, but often choosing poor ownership groups that were undercapitalized, of uh, allowing the National League to take the better markets, leaving them with a with the secondary markets. I mean, if if you look at the National or the American baseball attendance for last season, for 2021, of the 30 markets, if you rank rank, rank them from top to bottom, 10 of the bottom 15 are in cities that were originally chosen by the American League. They just didn't pick good markets. They didn't pick good ownership group. And they fought among themselves. And it, it was just this recurring pattern over, you know, almost 30 years from, from the mid to late 50s up until the 80s. But the thing with the American League that intrigues me about this, Andy, is that they had so many teams in markets with large African-American populations. It's not as if they were just only in white-only areas. And so that's what perplexes me is about this, especially after seeing the success of integration in the National League. Why didn't they just say, hey, this would really appeal to our fan base and the people that are you know, rooting on our teams? Well, it puzzles me too, Raymond. I mean, it seems to me that especially some of these teams uh, that in that period were, were chronic problem teams. Uh, the, 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 the Senators in the 50s, the A's throughout almost all of this period until the late 60s, um, they had an opportunity to get less expensive, more talented people to work for them, and they didn't do it. I mean, it just it doesn't make sense, which is you know kind of at the core of racism anyway. Um, but I mean, that was it was a persistent pattern uh, throughout the American League. Some teams like. The Red Sox, the, the Tigers were, were very, very slow uh, to integrate. 
Um, and uh, uh, the National League, I mean, the National League was no prize. I mean, the Dodgers did it fairly quickly, and the other teams kind of slowly trickled in. But uh, the American League was just noticeably slow to do it. And, you know, as your question implies, that doesn't make sense. We're talking with author Andy McHugh, his latest book, Stumbling Around the Bases, the American League's mismanagement and the expansion airs is out. Now he joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Donald Barnes. He was the owner of the St. Louis Browns, and he really wanted to be one of the first teams that would expand out west, but yet that never came to pass. What can you tell us, and what did your research in the book tell you about that? that, that that's really a, a fascinating story. Uh, Barnes owned the St. Louis Browns. Uh, sharing St. Louis with the Cardinals in that era, in the, and this is I'm talking about the late 30s now, and the Cardinals were a pretty good team, um, and the Browns the Browns had attendance a couple of years in that era, which was under 100,000. I mean, now we talk about somebody failing when they don't make a million. These guys weren't drawing 100,000 people in 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 77 home games. Um, so Barnes really he wanted to move. And as I mentioned earlier, talking about the period after the Second World War, they already knew that Los Angeles was the biggest untapped market in the country. Um, and so Barnes was eyeing that. And the problem at the time was perceived to be transportation. So Barnes set out talking to the railroad companies and to the airline companies, which were still pretty fledgling at that point. Uh, and he put together... A, a proposed schedule for the American League um, that would include a team in Los Angeles. And he circulated that among the other American League owners, and he thought he had the support for it. Uh, then he goes to the, to the winter meetings, which are held early in December, and a lot of big decisions are made there every year. And he has this plan in his pocket, and he thinks it's going to be approved when the meetings start on a Monday. Well, on Sunday, he goes to see a professional football game in Chicago. And in the middle of the game, it, the public address announcer comes on and announces that the Japanese have bombed Pearl Harbor. And Barnes knows immediately that in wartime, they're not going to allow such a thing. Everybody's going to back away from it, and they do. Um, so that doesn't happen. Barnes sells the team in the middle of the war. Nobody returns to it. I, I think that there's a, a, um, a, a, a you know, it, the Dodgers and later the, the Giants have been so successful financially that people look back and say, oh, my God, you know, that was just, that was inevitable. That, that was going to happen. But it was not perceived as being inevitable at the time. Uh, the other owners thought O'Malley and Stoneham were, were taking a big risk by by moving to the West Coast. And in fact, um, the other teams in the National League required O'Malley to agree that if somebody's a visiting team's take of the gate in Los Angeles was less than it had been the year before in Brooklyn, O'Malley would have to reimburse them for the difference. Wow. They, yeah, they were that, you know, uncertain of what was going to happen in Los Angeles. And in retrospect, that looks ridiculous. But at the time, it, it was definitely something that, that was felt. They, they were they were perceived that they were taking a risk, which we don't, I don't think we appreciate at all today. 
Andy, let me ask you this. John Fetzer, obviously he was radio TV executive who then took over ownership of the Detroit Tigers. Uh, is he the most important figure, so to speak, in this book or during the expansion era? Yeah, I think I think he is because he had more respect from the other American League owners. Uh, the flip side of that is that he wasn't very uh, effective in getting them to cure their problems of consensus and agreement and, and judgment. Um, I mean, he, they all respected him, and, and I guess they listened to him, but they didn't listen to him enough, I think, is what it amounted to. And um, he, he, did, he did some very successful things. Notably, um, he really uh, fixed a very broken uh, national television policy for all of baseball, not just for the American League. Um, I mean, the, the National Football League in the 60s was just roaring ahead. Pete Rozelle really understood the television markets. He educated himself about it. He understood what they were looking for, and he was able to package all kinds of things and, and really move uh, football into being kind of the dominant television game for sports. Um, and uh, baseball was having a problem. They had this long history of local radio um, which was very important to them. Um, and so they had taken up television with the same model that they used for radio, uh, local broadcasts, locally controlled, um, and they didn't really have a national television policy. They, they put one together. I mean, ABC had a game of the week dating back in, into the 50s, but because of their history in radio, the uh, owners put all kinds of restrictions on ABC broadcast. You couldn't do it when you couldn't put it into a city if the home team was home. Uh, you couldn't interfere with certain minor league markets. So as a result, where where the game of the week was being broadcast was, was very patchy, very erratic. Um, advertisers didn't like it because they really weren't quite sure what they were getting. Then uh, the Yankees signed a deal with CBS, which was for some national games, but it was only Yankee games and only a few a year. Uh, the Phillies had their own little regional television network, and it was Fetzer who got them all to, to coalesce around one program and then went to the networks and had the smarts and, and the experience in the television business to know to sell them as a package. Uh, the, na the networks were not particularly interested in a Saturday afternoon game in the middle of June or July. People had a lot of things to do on a, on a summer afternoon on a Saturday. So he said, you have to do that or you won't get the All-Star Game or the World Series, which is what the networks really, really wanted. So he packaged that whole thing and he, and he got the exposure for baseball uh, that he wanted. So, I mean, that was a very positive thing for the sport as a whole. But um, he wasn't influential enough, I would say, in the American League to to keep them from making some of the mistakes that they made. It's a fascinating read. Once again, the book is Stumbling Around the Bases, the American League's Mismanagement in the Expansion Airs. We've been talking with Andy McHugh, the author. Andy, thank you so much for your time, brother. Before I let you go, tell the people where they can go to get their copy, whether that's online or traditionally in old-fashioned bookstores. Well, it's both, I hope. Uh, the uh, It's on Amazon, which is probably the easiest place to get it. 
You can go directly to the University of Nebraska Press website if you want to, and you can encourage your local bookstore to stock it. Uh, I think Barnes & Noble will have copies. I'm not sure about anybody else. But anyway, I hope you enjoy it. I had a lot of fun writing it. Andy, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's a terrific book. and can't wait to talk to you next time, brother. Okay, Raymond. Thank you. That's Andy McHugh author of Stumbling Around the Bases, The American League's Mismanagement and the Expansion Errors. If you love history, you love baseball, you love baseball history, then you got to check out this book. Trust me on that. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company, though, coming up right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Here on RP3 and company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Third grade, I used to sit beside him in Welcome back to this way back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. We're listening to late 80s, early 90s country today. Last week it was alt rock. This week it's country. May throw in a little hip hop next week. Classic rock the week after. We're going to mix it up here. We're going to have a good time as we do every Wednesday. Part of having that good time here in RP3 and Company, of course, is our weekly foodie poll question of the week we unveil it every single wednesday here and this week oh man it's a dead heat it's still a dead heat we only have like half an hour and some change left on this poll question of the day we asked you what is the superior wing style 52 percent of you say drums 48 percent say flats that's just a matter of a few votes there this has gone back and forth from 50% to 52%, back and forth, back and forth. It's all about the wings. Brad has also commented on his go-to wing sauce is Frank's Red Hot Wing Sauce. Ooh. Nice. Nice. That is a classic one. That I is like a classic a one. Yes, that is if a you, classic one. If you were to go in, you take the bag, like a frozen little bag at Walmart, and you grab the bag of wings and you throw them in the crock pot and just cover an entire bottle of Frank's Red Hot Sauce for like two, four hours, depending how you know how long you want it to be cooking for. Amazing. Boom. They're so amazing, you just literally just pull it off did you, and straight bone. Did you just do a chef's kiss? Uh, a sort of. There we go. Because you like take the bone, like one yes. side of it, and, you go, and it all comes off. Now, also speaking of flavors. Yes. Our good friend. The STM coaching legend himself, Danny Bruce Arts, chimed in. Has he now? Yes, he is. Dry rub lemon pepper. My man mm. likes his wings dry, dry rub, but lemon pepper seasoning. That's also a good choice. Also an excellent choice. It is. By Coach Bruce Arts. That's his go to. He goes, hey, hands. and you don't have to lick your fingers as long. I mean, more efficient. <laughs> More efficient. It's less messy, which makes it more efficient. Yes, but doesn't it look so pretty when you're eating a wing and like the <laughs> sauce is just like dripping down between your like thumb? No? Okay. It's me. 
<laughs> Got it. <laughs> I see where I am. <laughs> Keep voting on the poll question of the day. Once again, it's our foodie poll question of the week. What is the superior wing style? Is it drums or is it flats? 52% of you say drums. 48% of you say flats. I, I just love texting in a Katie Anna's comment. By flat, are you talking about tenders? You know what children eat, which are no way even close to wings? <laughs> People get fired up about their chicken wings, man. They just do. They get fired up about buffalo wings. They Very particular. Then you get into the great debate boneless or bone or you know bone in and get people very get very passionate about that ridicule each other if you enjoy boneless wings there are certain people that won't allow you to set foot in their house it gets gets very very testy when it comes that boneless versus bone in debate we're not having that today we're just asking you do you like the flats or the drums yes Another day we'll do that with sauce. That's the best. <laughs> <laughs> Let's head out to the hotline. Good morning. What's on your mind, brother? I was just calling to tell y'all about um, my favorite time. Favorite time. Go. Oh, you're breaking up a little bit, bud. Say that again. I said I'm uh, trying to tell y'all about my uh, favorite kind of flats or uh, wings. Go ahead, bud. What you I got? Like the flats. Oh, yeah. Got to go with the my, – my, my, my man says he's a flats man. What's your name, bud? Wallace. Wallace, appreciate the phone call, brother. You enjoy your day, bud. You too. Wallace says, hey. Huh. Wallace oh. Wallace says flats. He, he agrees with you. Yes. He's a flat man. What, what is your what is your go-to? You got oh, like drums. drums? Really? Drums. Uh, drums have more meat on there. Mm. And it's like and it's like and I like it because it's like holding a, a little miniature drumstick in my hand. Well it, it is is it Trump's right. stick. So, yeah, it makes sense that they call him. You asked me why I liked it. <laughs> now you're ridiculing me. <laughs> now you're ridiculing. Was, you asked me why I like out. it, and it, I feel like it has more meat on there, and I just like it. I like holding, like you know, I love you know, I love chicken, so I hold it up. I have my own preference. I see everything was working fine. And then you said it was like holding a mini drumstick. That's like, right, because it is a mini drumstick. But it is a drumstick. It's what it's called. So it is holding. This is this is the face you get right now. This is the face you're getting, right now. But I mean, honestly, I feel like you more, there's more fat on drums than it is on flats. Look, if you give me an order of wings. Mm-hmm. And there's flats and there's drums in, 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 you know, on my plate. Yes. Or in the bowl. Mm-hmm. You know what's going to happen to them? What? I'm going to eat them all. I will too, but I will definitely eat the flats first and then I'll eat the drums after. I see. Hoping that when I eat all the flats, there's only like, if there's like 10, like at um, a certain past workplace, then usually it's five and five. That's how... They made it. They pre-make them as they set them with five drums and five flats. Mm-hmm. I will go and I'll eat all the flats, hoping that there's actually six or there's like even seven flats, and there's only like three or four drums instead. So when you go out to eat, you hope for someone being incompetent in their job, so it will benefit you, is what you're telling me. I hope that somebody that likes flats more will be making them. <laughs> yeah, because because I'm sure when they're back there preparing them, they're like, yeah, I prefer flats more. Yeah. Hey, I made one where I literally I made a, uh, my own set of pre-made wings, and I put all the flats in the entire bag. 
and then I hit it and told the line cook, hey, this right here is for me. And I put it in a certain the spot. More, and tied it. The more you share about your previous work experiences, the more I wish I would have done a more thorough background check. Because now I'm worried about what you're going to do around here. I do great things <laughs> here. Stealing I mean, wings, pushing wings aside. People were hungry, probably wanted some delicious flats those days, and they couldn't have them where you used to work because you were hoarding them in the back for yourself. Okay, 10. 10 out of the, like, probably, I don't know, 300? Wing hoarder. Hannah Five Names, producer extraordinaire slash wing hoarder extraordinaire. Okay, wing hoarder would mean that they were just there, and I just keep stacking them up and never eat them. But I did eat them. <laughs> we got to take a time out. So, yeah. Got to keep voting on our poll question of the day. Created by the wing hoarder extraordinaire herself, Hannah Five Names. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll update it before we sign off today on this Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. Up next, though, we're going to talk NFL Draft with our guy, Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour Podcast. What are the Saints going to do? We're counting down. The draft is tomorrow, first round. What does he expect them to do? What does he want them to do? We'll break all that down next. Big Easy Blitz right here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. If you really RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru, Oof. And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. It's 837 on this way back Wednesday edition of the show. Oh, yeah. Late 80s, early 90s country music for you today. Last week. Grunge. This week, country. Next week, hip-hop. Classic rock. Motown. We could go in so many different directions. Maybe get some funk. Oh, man. Wheels are spinning now. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day as well. It's our foodie poll question of the week. It's a decisive, divisive issue. How do you like your chicken wings? Drums or flats. Heart has chimed in. I'm from Louisiana. If it's well seasoned, I'll eat a pterodactyl wing. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. I like that. Keep voting on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we will give you the final results before we sign off on today's RP3 and Company. NFL draft, though, is tomorrow night. First round. Saints have two picks in the first round. Will they keep those picks? Will they trade up? Will they do the unthinkable and trade back? Will they do the even more unthinkable and actually draft a quarterback? Let's hope not for Kevin Foote's sanity. Let's hope not. 
to break it all down for us and to give his insight on what he thinks is going to happen is the man whose latest mock draft is available on our website at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. Our friend Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. It's time for the Big Easy Blitz. Houdin is ready for Saints talk. The give to Camara. Breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone. Touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. Andrew, good morning to you, brother. The draft is tomorrow. Are you going to make it till then? Or are you just so stressed out? Well, you know, listen, it was already going to be stressful with the draft, but now you've got the Pelicans at the same time. And so in terms of New Orleans sports and and my commitment to them, it's uh, (laughs) I don't even know. I don't know what to do with myself, quite frankly. They just they, they just demand so much, bud. They just demand so much from you. They do, and, and look, it's uh, it's both exciting, but like, couldn't they stagger this? Couldn't they have one on Thursday, one on Friday? You know, uh, but listen, it, we'll make the most of it. I'll have to try. I still don't have my head around what gets muted, uh, what gets watched, what's on which TV. Do I split screen? Yeah, there, there's all these things that I still have to think through. So, like I said, it's it's stressful. <laughs> it is stressful. Now, your latest mock draft is up on our website right now, and you thankfully take the approach of the saints are not going to be drafting a quarterback people have been clamoring for this and i don't get it i don't get why saints fans in particular andrew that understand the organization that root for the organization that spend money on season tickets knowing their approach to everything why in the hell they would want to get a quarterback in this year's draft when most of these guys have second round grades why waste a first round pick on a guy that's really not a you know uh, uh, that much of a talent can you explain it to yeah me? can you explain it to yeah me? no I can't I, I don't really understand it I mean as you said I think first of all this quarterback class is weaker that's the consensus uh, now depending on who you hear from and this could be NFL scouts this could be uh, national media they, they cover the NFL uh, some people believe in individual guys uh, be it Malik Willis Kenny Pickett those are the two that kind of come up the most often uh, some believe in Desmond Ritter. Some believe in Matt Corral. Some think that Sam Howell would be a terrific value in the second round. But, you know, those are the names you hear, And and uh, but it's all over the place. And I, I think that's pretty indicative of the state of affairs. It's no one's – there's no consensus. No one's really sure that these guys are can't-miss prospects. And, look, when you have a ton of needs, as the Saints do, and you pick at 16 and 19 – I think there would be tremendous value in taking two players in this draft and, and not just one. And look to, to take maybe a top quarterback, you probably would have to trade up to number five to go get the number one quarterback. Let's say that's Malik Willis. That feels pretty expensive to take on a guy that's played college football at Liberty. Uh, degree of competition, not great. Uh, tons of questions about his size. He certainly has a rocket arm, but you look at his tape, most of his throws are off-platform. Uh, It would take some seasoning. It would take a while. And the thing is, and I think you kind of alluded to this, the Saints receiver, sorry, the Saints quarterback room, you know, in Jameis Winston, you have a guy that's your starter. He's in year two of being a starter with the Saints. He knows the system. He's a promising candidate to maybe be your quarterback of the future. You have a young guy in your building who they still like in Ian Book, by the way. Uh, they, they haven't written him off. I know some Saints fans maybe have after his one start, which was totally unfair. But 
They have a young guy in the building that they've drafted that they want to develop. And they have a veteran in Andy Dalton, who is one of the better backups in the league. So they're pretty stacked in the quarterback room right now. And I don't know that the Saints feel like they have to do a move there. So, look, everything I'm hearing is that the Saints don't like the quarterbacks in this year's class and they're not trading up. Uh, so we'll see if I'm wrong, but uh, I don't believe that either of those things will happen. Is there a position in this draft that would, or a player in this draft rather, that the Saints, you believe, or you're hearing from your sources, like so much that they would take their two first-rounders and use them to trade up in the first round this year to go grab them? Well, look, the, the cap issues with the Saints are well-documented. And I think it costs them being able to retain Marcus Williams. Uh, it costs them being able to retain Teron Armstead because they can't spend money on every single player on their team. And obviously, they've invested heavily in Ramchek, who's already a tackle. Uh, they've invested heavily in Marshawn Lattimore. They've invested heavily in Kamara and Michael Thomas. So I think they've already spent a lot. And when you look at where the money goes, uh, quarterback is obviously one, but we just discussed how that room feels a little full right now. The other positions where you have to spend a ton of money, left tackle, cornerback, receiver. And so I think as you look at these two first-round picks, they could go safety, but I think you can spend money on a guy like Teron Matthew, get a pretty good player, bring him in your building, and it's going to cost you a lot less than trying to go get a receiver or a corner. Whereas I think if you can hit in the draft, knowing that these, these rookies have much lower salaries, if you can hit in the first round on a receiver or a corner, and then you have that contract for five years where you don't have to spend the crazy amounts of money that these positions are now commanding, I, I think that's huge for teams. That's huge in being able to build a roster. So uh, I, I think not only is receiver and left tackle a need for the Saints, when you talk about that finance, financial element, it makes even more sense to go with those positions. Um, so anyway, that being said, I think Charles Cross, the left tackle out of Mississippi State, to answer your question, I could see them trading up for him. I, I think that's a guy they like a lot. And you know, I, I don't think they go up in the, the top five to go get him, but – if he's still around at 9, 10, 11, uh, that starts to make a little bit more sense or maybe you package your second or third round pick to move up and you still keep your other first round pick. We're talking with Andrew Juge, Saints Happy Hour podcast. He's the sensible, well-dressed one of the uh, fellas. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's get to your breakdown, your mock draft of what the Saints are going to do. You have them taking... Chris Olave, the wide receiver at Ohio State with the 16th overall pick. And then a few picks later, you have them taking Lewis Kine, the safety out of Georgia, wide receiver safety that typically goes with their DNA of what they like to do in the first and second round, also offensive line and defensive line. Why'd you go with Olave and uh, the, the safety out of Georgia? Yeah, I think, listen, they need a receiver. And, and I think if all things line up as as – the Saints hope, then I think they get a receiver out of this draft. My understanding is that Olave is their favorite one. Um, you know, Jameson Williams is a guy that I would want in a perfect world, but uh, I think he's the best receiver in this draft. But the ACL leaves a lot of questions. And realistically, look, I know maybe some people make the argument it's okay to wait for a guy that's that talented, but when he's coming back from an injury like that, you have to have questions about his long term ability to stay in the league. And then on top of that, 
I don't think he's going to be hitting his stride until easily November uh, of this season, given how late in the season he had his ACL. So I think with that being said, Olave makes a lot of sense. I think Garrett Wilson will be gone. Uh, but Olave at 16, look, it, the Eagles need a receiver, and it could easily take Olave at 15. So I, I think the Saints are in a little bit of danger of him being gone one or two picks before. But I think if he drops to 16, that pick makes a lot of sense. At safety, look, we already know they've been talking to Teron Matthews, so we know that's a position of need. They lose Marcus Williams. And I think in Lewisine, they have a guy that is able to be interchangeable. And, and that's part of why they liked Marcus May so much. And what I've been told is Dennis Allen, he doesn't want a guy like Marcus Williams that's clearly a free safety, has a position, and he's always in one spot. I think Allen really would enjoy the appeal of two interchangeable safeties who can both play high in the post, uh, who can both come closer to the line of scrimmage, uh, where he can mix and match his looks. And so I think in scene, you would have a player that's that's kind of like Marcus May, and, and you know you would have the ability to use them as chess pieces. So, uh, and, and look, there's so much to like about him, by the way. I mean, he, he checks all the boxes in terms of power, speed, uh, range, playing the football in the air, uh, ability to play in the box and, and hit big. Uh, he really has all the tools to be a great safety in the league. And so uh, I think when you look at the, the physical profile of that player, uh, that also makes a lot of sense. All right, bud. In the second and third round where you can get a lot of value, that'll be Friday. You have them taking the big fella out of Central Michigan, which I like. I like that pick a lot. That could be where they get their offensive linemen. But then in the third round, you go with a luxury pick here, a little bold, a little daring. I don't know if that's the LSU fan in you trying to make this, will this to, you know, make it into a reality. But you have them taking Damone Clark, linebacker, out of LSU in the third round. Why did you go in that direction with your mock? Well, I think in a perfect world, the Saints, as I said, get a left tackle. And Charles Cross is a guy to keep an eye on if, if, if they can make that happen. Uh, but if they can't, you know, I settle for Raymond out of Central Michigan in the second round. Uh, you know, hopefully he would fall there. Uh, again, crazy athletic profile. And uh, this is a guy from Austria. And uh, so he's going to need a little seasoning, a little development. But I think the good news is if you take a tackle that needs development, you uh, that's a good situation for the Saints in the sense that they just brought Doug Marone back. Doug Marone used to be a head coach in the NFL, uh, but his specialty is developing offensive linemen. And so to get him back, a guy that knows the system, he's going to be able to develop, I think, an offensive lineman as good as anyone. On top of that, you have Zach Streif, who knows the system maybe better than anyone, knows the organization better than anyone. Tremendous teacher. To have him as an assistant coach on the offensive line, is an embarrassment of riches between Marone and, and Streif. You really have two guys that I think can develop a tackle with tons of physical talent that just needs kind of mental and physical development. So um, I, I think I agree with you. I think it's tremendous value and a great pick if you fail to get an offensive tackle in the first round. And then, yeah, in the third round, look, it, it starts to become about value. Uh, I don't think Quan Alexander is going to return to the Saints. And uh, that's going to give Pete Warner an opportunity to play. Uh, and so I think it's clear that Demario Davis and Pete Warner are your guys, but at the same time, you want to build out depth. You want to get guys that can run, get guys that can hit to help you on special teams with the cover units. And I think Damone Clark's a guy that they can develop. And look, Demario Davis, how many years does he realistically have left? And I think Pete Warner is obviously a linebacker of the future for you, but if Zach Bond can't really develop into that kind of player, they need another linebacker in the mix. So, that was more about value at that stage and kind of just taking a best player available. 
All right, quickly, but only got about 30 seconds. Brian Robinson, Jr., the running back out of Alabama, you got them uh, going to the Saints in the fourth round. I firmly believe the Saints are going to take a running back in rounds four or five. They like doing that. They need the depth. Um, you believe that as well, correct? Absolutely. I, I think running back is a sneaky need for the Saints. Uh, you cannot count. Look, if Alvin Kamara gets suspended, you cannot count on Mark Ingram for four or five straight games to have 25 carries. You've got to have another guy in the mix. Uh, Brees Hall, it, look, if he lasts until round two and he's available at that second round pick, uh, I would sprint to the podium. So I, I think getting a running back out of this draft is a priority. Andrew, appreciate your time as always, brother. Um, you guys doing something live uh, tomorrow night for the Saints Happy Hour podcast? Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if, if uh, you'll consider becoming a patron, we have a Zoom meeting with our patrons tonight. Uh, that, that you can find out all that information on saintshappyhour.com. But we have a private Zoom meeting with our patrons tonight where we'll talk about all the Saints draft strategies and all that. And then we'll have a live show, uh, which is open to everyone on Thursday night. We'll be covering the drafts wall-to-wall, uh, trying to keep an eye on the Pelicans game while we do that, of course. But uh, listen, it's, it's going to be fun. Two first-round picks on Thursday night. Uh, so this is kind of a banner draft uh, and a really important one for the Saints. Bud, we'll talk to you very soon, my friend. Looking forward to it as always. Thanks, Raymond. We're going to take a time out. Our final one of today's show. We'll update the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Welcome back to this Way Back Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company. I want to take a moment to thank our guests before we sign off and get you ready for Kevin Foote and Footnotes. I want to thank Trenton Trosclair, Eunice High softball coach, for joining us. Andy McHugh, author of Stumbling Around the Bases. And Andrew Juch from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. I also want to thank all of you who voted commented on the poll question of the day final results for our foodie question of the week which we do every wednesday here on rp3 and company what is the superior wing style final results Mm, here we go it was close back and forth all day winning with 51 percent of the vote drums over flats the preferred wing style for rp3 defeats the preferred wing style of hannah five names What an epic battle it was all morning long. Thank you for all who commented and voted on the poll question of the day. Tomorrow, it's going to be even better. It'll be draft day tomorrow. We'll get you prepared for that and so much more. For the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parsa III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. It's just what I've got on.